Hello, welcome to Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and I'll be your host for this television series. UMGA TV and the Historical Society are continuing this series as an oral history project of life and community in Upper Marion Township. In their own words, we want the people who live the history of Upper Marion to tell us about that history. This edition features Arthur Cummins. Arthur grew up in the King of Prussia area and graduated from Upper Marion High School. He was drafted into the Army and served overseas during World War II. On his return, he married and went into the automobile service business. Arthur tells us about his experiences living and working in Upper Marion. Let's sit back and listen to Arthur Cummins' Remember When. Where were you born and raised? Uh, Port Kennedy. Uh, was, uh, in Port Kennedy, we lived there for maybe three to four years. And then we moved over to what was called Thomas's Nurseries, located uh, right past uh, uh, County Line Road, uh, between County Line Road and Old Eagle School Road in Chester County. Right. And uh, my father worked for Charlie Thomas. That was one of the sons. And I started school in a one-room schoolhouse in New Centerville. It's not called New Centerville anymore. It's, it's probably, uh, I, I would suppose the best location would be around the, the shopping center, the Gateway Shopping Center that they have up there now. And the old schoolhouse was on uh, Swedes Ford Road. So I used to walk, uh, walk from Pew Road to Old Eagle School Road down to, uh, down to, uh, what's the road I'm trying to think of? Sweetsford Road, turn left and up there about a mile, about, I guess about a mile and a half on the right-hand side was the old schoolhouse. Okay. They had grades one to eight. And behind the school, there was two very beautiful farms. On the left, the one was called Many Springs Farms and the one on the right was uh, Brook, uh, Brookmead Dairies. Mr. Thompson, who owned Brookmead Dairies, at Christmas time would come over to the one-room schoolhouse and give each student a Christmas present. <laughs> and of course, there was no school bus then. We had to walk. There was a three-mile walk to school and three-mile return trip at home in the afternoon. From there, <clears throat> we moved to Valley Forge. We were there maybe three years. And we moved to the entrance to Valley Forge. My father went to work for Mr. Tyndall uh, he married Senator Knox's daughter. And that farm was located, uh, you've heard and seen the old covered bridge right. that goes over the Valley Creek. Right. Well, his residence was in there on the left-hand side. And he had quite a large farm and he employed uh, maybe 12, 15 people to maintain it. Horses and cattle. And uh, I don't think he... He did it to be to make money from the farm. I think he did it just for his own self. I think he just enjoyed doing it. They had a swimming pool there, and they had uh, maybe three or four very large homes on the premises. And he had uh, he had a little truck patch there, and he had a butler, and he had a couple of cooks, and he had a I don't know four or five handymen. So it was uh, sort of like a family affair, yeah. and everybody knew everybody. And while we lived there, uh, uh, <clears throat> we would have people that would come over to visit Valley Forge Park, and they, our house being on the, on the one corner, they would stop and ask for directions. So sometimes I would get in the car with them and, and drive around with them. Uh, I would ride with them, not drive. Mm. And uh, the reason I, I was able to do that was because at that time it was owned by the state, Pennsylvania, and we had park guards and they all had motorcycles with sidecars. And once in a while they'd put me in the sidecar and give me a ride. So I really got to know the park pretty well. From Valley Forge, we moved to King of Prussia. And when we moved to King of Prussia, we moved to the Maplecroft Farm, which is uh, right up from the main intersection. On, on North Gulf Road now. Uh, I went to, to Stuart Fun Hall, which was my school. 
I was in the fifth grade at the time. And uh, that was located? That was located on Route 202 and Allendale Road. And while I was, uh, well, I guess while I was in school for the two years before we went to Upper Marion High School, which was a new school, which was just built, uh, I had That's, a number of jobs in Port Kennedy. That was at uh, uh, Henderson and in, in, uh, in, in Stuart Fun Hall. No, no, you talked about uh, the Upper Marion High School. Oh, the, yeah, so what the present, well, it's now an office building. Right. That was Henderson Road and South uh, Gulf we, Road. Yeah, South Gulf Road. We used to call that, that used to all be Montgomery Avenue. And uh, so I used to get, I used to get odd jobs. Uh, I first got started, I suppose, with Mr. Crockett, the tax collector. I'd cut his lawn on Saturday. And then when he opened up the driving range, uh, he got a big tractor. And so uh, I would drive the tractor and, and cut the grass on the driving range. And of course, uh, <clears throat> he had a couple of cars and he'd always have to run from the house on one side of Montgomery Avenue over to the other side of Montgomery Avenue. So he let me drive his car. And actually, that's where, where I learned how to drive. And, uh, and I got into a little trouble driving because at that time, we only had one chief of police in Upper Marion Township. And his name was Lester Small. And he caught me on the highway a couple of times and told me that if I didn't stop driving, he was going to give me a ticket and put me in jail. So uh, one particular Saturday morning, when I was cutting Mr. Crockett's lawn, he came out and he turned the engine off of the mower and he said, uh, you know Mary McGee down at, Miss Mary McGee down at the Bridgeport National Bank? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, well, he opened up my shirt and he took this money bag and he put it inside my shirt and buttoned up my shirt and he said, I want you to take it down to her. I said, Mr. Crockett, I can't do that. He said, what do you mean? I said, Mr. Small told me if he caught me on the highway again with that when I was driving, he, he was going to put me in jail. He said, if he puts you in jail, I'll get you out of it. And I, I said, okay. So I went down and I pulled up to the bank and I went in and gave Mary McGee the bag. She said, uh, how'd you get down here? Well, I said, I drove down. She said, oh my God, how old are you? I said, 14. <laughs> she said, you're going to get locked up. I said, I know I am, but Mr. Crockett said he's going to get me out of jail. I got locked up. So anyhow, made the deposit. She said, what are you, how are you going to get back? I said, well, I'm going to drive the station wagon back, which I did. When I got back and I handed him the, the bag, he said, um, you know how much money was in that bag? And I said, no, I didn't. He said, $14,000. I said, well, I... $14,000 when you're 14 years old, that's an awful lot of money. <laughs> and uh, the reason he did it, he said that he'd gotten a tip that they might be looking for him on his way to the bank. So he thought he'd send me instead, but nobody bothered me. Yeah. So uh, I used to work there at the, at the stand selling hot dogs and sodas and, and buckets of balls and and he had a big Buick sedan, which we took the back seat out. We got some large galvanized tubs and we'd put the golf balls in these tubs and I'd drive them up to his garage. He had a couple of washing machines in the garage. We'd wash the balls and then we'd put them back in the tubs mm -hmm. and then bring them back and then put them in the small buckets. So I, I did the uh, odd jobs for him. Then he got me a job with Ed Mack, who was across the street. He just opened up a gas station because Ed, uh, he was working all kinds of crazy hours and he wanted to get a little relief. So I was over there selling gasoline. And uh, at one time there used to be a little hot dog stand at the corner owned by two chaps. And uh, I used to sell hot dogs and pump gasoline there. So I was around automobiles quite a bit. Yeah, that, that was the picture you showed us of the, uh, where, the, where Chili's was now. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, right. Okay, maybe so, we can show that. Yeah, well, uh, I, 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 I just can't remember exactly, I don't know whether it was 1927. I think that building was built in 1927. It was strictly a restaurant and there was a large garage in the back. And uh, of course, uh, the King of Prussia fire, the first King of Prussia fire engine was housed in that garage. Mm -hmm. 
until Jean Suplee uh, let them use her garage over on her side of the street. And uh, uh, two boys started, uh, decided to go into the suntan lotion business. And uh, they started to manufacture their own suntan lotion. And they got the, the, the way they disposed of it, or the way they would, you'd have to put a dime in this little machine. It was built like a gas pump. So you put a dime in the machine, you took the hose, the nozzle off the hanger, and you sprayed yourself for like 30 seconds with suntan lotion. And, uh, and it was a very good suntan lotion, but they, for some reason or other, they just never got off, they never got off the ground yeah. with it. And then later, they, when they left, uh, I think it was after they left when the, when the fire engine was housed there for quite a while. Now, Ed Mack had a, had a I called it a dump, it's like a pile of a little bit of everything right behind the garage. And many, many times people would come in and say, uh, I'm looking for this or I'm looking for that. And he'd think for a minute or two and then he'd say, well, it's back there in the dump. If you want to go back and get it, you just go back and we'll have to tear it apart and root all around, you know. But I never saw anybody come away disappointed. Everybody he sent back there found what they were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> I, I guess I must have worked part-time after school for him for maybe two or three years. Uh, Mike S. Stock, who I think you've probably heard of him, he had a garage there on the corner mm -hmm. uh, where the little bridge was, which was recently torn, torn out. Right. And uh, was a fabulous mechanic. It, uh, he had a God-given talent that uh, it, you just couldn't believe. He, he, in a lot of cases, you would pull up and your car wasn't running correctly, and and he'd stand there to the side of the engine. He wouldn't even lift up the hood, and he could tell you what your problem was. Just from the sound, huh? <laughs> That's right. And he always used the King of Prussia Hill as his testing grounds, and he'd drive over there with you in the car uh, to see how it acted going up up the hill. And he would come back to his garage and he'd tell you, without even looking at it, what was wrong with the car. Yeah. Of course, you had mentioned Ed Mack. Ed, well, Ed, Ed Mack, uh, I think, uh, had great notoriety with uh, sitting on his uh, sitting on the porch, uh, holding off the, the construction crew with a, with a shotgun or something? Yes. Well, uh, prior to 1952, when we all got evicted, uh, the state highway office was in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. So uh, he had made a decision that he was going to tear part of the front of the restaurant off and put up a modern garage. So he took his plans and we went down to Ardmore and they looked them over and they said, no problem. He said, well, I know you're going to make some changes and I just want to make sure that we're okay. And they said, well, we're just going to put one, add one lane to the two that's already there, and uh, so you'll be okay. So we came back, and they got a contractor and built a service station, and it was up maybe three or four months, and he got a letter of condemnation for the, the entire property. <laughs> oh, that's how that happened. Huh? That's how it happened. <laughs> well, then, at that time, there was only seven commonwealths in the country, and the right of public domain, they could come in and take your property, but they had up to a total of seven years to pay it. And he said, I need the money when I leave here to buy another place. So I'm not leaving until I get my check. <laughs> so, so he sat there with the shotgun and his dog and there was a contractor already awarded the project. Yeah. So he was getting ready to pull, pull in with his equipment and Ed stopped him. He said, don't, don't come on my property. Because he said, if you do, I'm going to shoot you. And he meant it. <laughs> and he even got a, a call from the governor. The governor asked him, to, you know, if he please would stop holding up the project. And he said, no, you send the check down. He said, and I'll, uh, I'll be more than happy to get off the property. And so it took a little while, but they got it settled. Yeah. Did you finish high school here in Upper Mary? Yes. Uh, both my wife and I graduated from Upper Marion High School. What year, what year was that? I graduated in 36 and my wife graduated in 37. The first graduating class was in 1934. 
we have we had three children and they all graduated from Upper Marion. And we got four grandchildren and they've all graduated from Upper Marion. Now, whether that's a record or not, <laughs> I don't know. But well, it ought to be right up there anyway. It ought to be up, <laughs> ought to be up in the running anyway. <laughs> and uh, uh, I wanted to tell you a little story too about 202. Uh, back when I was, uh, when I was in fifth and sixth grade at Stuart Fun Hall, they were building, they were making 202 a paved highway from County Line Road into King Manor at the P&W Bridge there. And uh, I got a job as water boy. You were supposed to be 16 years old, and I was 13 to 14. And uh, uh, school started in September, so I was working during the summer. So I went to my foreman and I told him I'd have to quit because uh, <clears throat> I had to go back to school. And he said, oh, no, you don't quit. He said, what you do, you get up early in the morning and get a fresh bucket of water and you bring it over to our group and you leave it there. And at lunchtime, when you have half to three quarters of an hour off for lunch, <laughs> you can back out, get that bucket. And of course, they had a pump outside of Stewart Fun Hall. Mm -hmm. So I was to go over to the pump and dump the old water out, fresh water in. Then I did that when school was out again. And of course, uh, luckily they were working right close to Stuart Von Hall. Had it been further down the road, I, don't, I wouldn't have been, been able to do it. But I did that up until it got to the point where it got so dark that, uh, well, they couldn't work after it got dark. They were behind on the schedule. And I think they were about a month behind. And then they come out nights and when they, they had lights and the, they had to lay this fresh concrete, you know. But out, uh, I, I don't think they were more than about a month behind. They got it completed. So it really, uh, I, I really had a lot of work in Canada, yeah. Prussia. Really had a lot you of work. Kept busy right along there. Yeah. There were, well, there wasn't, there wasn't too many people around to, uh, if somebody needed a job done, wasn't too many people around yeah. to get to do it, you know. Yeah. So uh, that's how it worked out. You, uh, you, you, you feel that you, uh, Got your basic uh, background in, in, in automobile mechanics yeah. uh, right there yes. at uh, Ed Max Garage. There, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it's a whole new ball game today. You'd have right. to go to school because everything's computerized. Uh, but in those days, if you had a screwdriver and a pair of pliers, the car wouldn't run. You could probably get it started. Not not so not, today. Not today. <laughs> no, <clears throat> you really have to go to school. You have to know how to operate a computer. You have an emission control system uh, and you have to have a machine for that. Uh, the one that my son has today is cost $42,000. Now, there's not too many places can afford to do that. Right. See, he bought it on the installment plan as well. But uh, you, you have to have a lot of business in order to pay for that machine, you know? But we used to have gasoline and got rid of gasoline simply because the company uh, wanted to sell us the tanks for a dollar. We didn't want that because as soon as we bought those tanks, it was our, our responsibility. And if we would have a leak where gasoline would be leaking into the water table under the ground, then uh, you're sued for at least $10, $10 million. Right. Uh, I graduated in 36 and, and I worked for Ed Mack at his station for three years. And then I went over to Norristown and I worked for a partnership called Pentagard, <clears throat> excuse me, who were both employed by Exxon and Exxon at that time were leasing out stations. So I went to work for them prior to going into the service. Mm -hmm. What year did you go into service? Uh, 1941. Right after the war it started. <clears throat> no, I was in before the war. Oh, were you? I was in six months prior to the war, okay. started getting started, and uh, I got out in 1945. Mm -hmm. So I was in for four years and three months. They used to put a nickel in the Nickeloid machine. They used to sing goodbye, dear, I'll be back in a year, but it was a long, <laughs> long year. <laughs> a long, long year. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. So he. Um, you came back to King of Prussia after your service? I came back to King of Prussia and uh, 
uh, before I left, Mr. Crockett had built some houses, three houses here over on uh, on on 202 and and uh, about seven or eight houses on Crockett Road. So he said to me, and real estate wasn't moving very well at that time. He said, I think uh, maybe uh, what you ought to do is buy one of these houses. He said, you're going to go into the service and uh, you're going to come back and you're going to get married. You're going to need a house. I said, well, Mr. Crockett, I'm going to go into service, but I don't think when I come back, I'm going to get married. I don't think I'm going to need a house. <clears throat> but of course, I did exactly what he, he said. said. So instead of paying 5000 for the house, I paid 12500 <laughs> for the house. But <clears throat> he, he really built, uh, there were small houses, but they were very good. And uh, he started at on the 202 end on Crockett Road, and he went up to the very top, almost to South Gulf Road. Started out at 5000 I think when the time he got up to the top of the hill, he was around 6500 mm -hmm. And sold them all. They, no, no problem. And uh, it was a good little house. It was a good. It was a good starter. But as your family increased, you needed more, more room. That's when we moved over to Bob White Farms. Now, when I <clears throat> operated the business at Ed's, at Ed's gas station, there were two school teachers from Philadelphia, and they had rented Bob White Farms. There was a big old barn over there and a big house. And they ran a summer camp and they had school buses and they brought kids out of Philadelphia up there. And <clears throat> that's where they had the camp activities. They built a pond, they used to go swimming in the pond, they had horses, they went horseback riding, and they had a lot of activities set up for them to do. And they did that for maybe two or three years. So they were good customers during the summertime. So how did you get started in business on your own? Well, uh, I was married, I guess, about a year and a half. When, what year was that? Uh, I got married in 1946. And uh, I went to work at Continental Diamond Fiber Company in Bridgeport in the lab. And I was there about a year and a half when Ed Mack called me up. And he said uh, we were living with my wife's folks in Sweden for two years before we got our own apartment. And he said, my, uh, my tenant just passed away. And he said, uh, I'd like for you to take the station. And so he said, you're going to have to deal with his wife. And he said, you might have a rough time with her. But he said, uh, I, we, uh, my wife and I would like for you to have the station. He said, here's an opportunity for you to start in business. And he said, uh, uh, make yourself a little bit of money. And I said, well, I don't have too much money to get started with because I said, uh, I, I'm renting an apartment and I said, I got to furnish it. So he said, well, you talk to her and see what, what you can work out. Well, right off the bat, she wanted $5,000. Uh, she felt that her husband, she said, she felt her husband planted every tree in Valley Forge Park. <laughs> and she just wanted $5,000 for goodwill. And she had an attorney in Norristown, Mr. Fox, and he said, my gosh, this young man just got out of the service. He doesn't have $5,000 to be paying for those trees in Valley Forge Bar or anything else, you know. Well, anyhow, we, we got together and I was able to buy the business. Mm -hmm. And that's how, that's how I got started. And I was there for four years at that location till we got evicted in 1952. But during the course of that time, we, we had just a corner of the restaurant chopped off, or not chopped off, but branched off for a little gas station. And then when we tore that down to put the modern station in, uh, that was about two years. I had that about two years before we had to get out. The uh, what, what kind of facilities did you have there? The, uh, well, I had, it, I had uh, two bays inside. I could bring the cars inside and work on them compared to what I had before, it was, everything was strictly outside. <clears throat> and we had, uh, we had three pumps outside to pump gasoline. So we had a pretty good setup. We, we could pretty much accommodate whatever your car needs might happen to be at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
uh, we used to get quite a bit of traffic, uh, particularly in the summertime. A lot of people used to drive up Montgomery Avenue to Valley Forge Park. And then 202 started to become uh, pretty famous. Uh, you know, if you were headed down south, you went through Paoli in Westchester, went down and got on 95. So uh, it was, traffic was really starting to pick up. And the next thing you know, the turnpike came in the King of Prussia. And that's where it ended at that time. So there was people coming from Pittsburgh on in. So that was, and they were emptying off right here at King of Prussia. So that brought more traffic into the area. And of course, then the houses started to be, well, you had Brandywine Village started first and you had Valley Forge Homes. So things started to pick up with the highways. People started coming in from everywhere. Well, you're stationed there, right, uh, on 202, around the corner from where, where Ed Max was. Uh, what year did you put that building in? You already picked it in 52, I'd say in 50. 1950? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 1950. Okay. We only in there two years, and, we, and the whole property got condemned. And so did the inn, and and so did Mike Estock's garage. It seemed to be everything on the right-hand side of the street if you were going toward Norristown. Left-hand side was okay, like the Peacock Garden stayed. And uh, let's see, uh, there was a few houses down there on the left-hand side, down past the blind school. Now, <clears throat> The, it used to be the blind school. Yeah, the police property used to be the Royer's Grave School for the Blind, and uh, they came up, I think, from the Overbrook School from the Blind. And the Lions Club in Norristown used to have a carnival there every year to raise funds for the benefit of the school. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's quite a quite a lot of activity going on there for about a week. And then, of course, I think you heard about uh, Cab Calloway coming up to Peacock Gardens from the Aero Theater in Philadelphia. And when we lived on Crockett Road in the summertime, we just put the windows up and we, we, we just had music coming in from, from the terrace all the time. So we didn't need a radio to put us to sleep. <laughs> the, uh, they, they, they did a very, very good business there at the Peacock Gardens. And, and the outside, the terrace was really very pretty, I thought. And of course, I, you said you'd been there, so you probably saw the peacocks. Right. Yeah. I mentioned that we had I'd interviewed uh, Tom Hobson. Yeah. And do you, do you recall Tom? Yes. I knew Tom real well. Yeah. I knew him real well. Knew Mrs. Waters from the inn very well, and the two waiters that they had there. And... Uh, Knew Mike Estock very well. Mr. Marson, who had the antique shop, knew him very well. Uh, knew Jean Suplee. She she was uh, postmistress there for a short period of time. Uh, they used to have the post office there where the antique shop was, mm -hmm. and then they moved it down past where the blind school building was, or where she had her uh, the, the part that she had purchased. They built a little building in there, and that was the post office until they finally decided to build a big one over there in King of Prussia. Uh, she, had a, she had a Packard with a, I don't know whether you ever heard about it or not, but she had a Packard car with a, uh, a body made down in Ardmore, I think it was. And I, I'm trying to remember the name of the make of the body. It was a beautiful car. And uh, she, 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 you know, she was an old maid. She was never married. And she used to drive around in that Packard. And by golly, it was it was really a sight to see. It wasn't too many yeah. cars uh, as good looking in those days as the one that she had. Yeah. Mr. Crockett was a tax collector in Upper Marion for a good money number of years, and then yeah, the picture. Of his, you showed me a picture of his house. Yeah, that's right. I and, showed you the picture of the and house. That was, that was located, you mentioned where? Where that was located right behind Ed Max restaurant uh -huh. on South Gulf Road. Where the Wawa is. Where now. the Wawa is today. 
That's right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, Wiedemann Machine Company, I think, was one of the first ones to come in over there. And then uh, Jones Machine Shop was there on the left-hand side of the road where the, uh, where the lockers are now that you would rent. You know what I mean? Going up South Gulf Road, you go underneath the railroad bridge and the yeah. lockers okay. are there on the left. Right. Well, there used to be a big, big machine shop in there. That was owned by the Jones, two Jones brothers. And the next thing I know, my Philadelphia gear moved up from Philadelphia. Right. Did you frequent the uh, King of Prussia Inn at all? I used to stop there quite, 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 uh, quite a number of times after I got out of the service. Yeah. Yes. What, what did you enjoy about that? Well, I knew Mrs. Waters practically all my life, and uh, she saw me grow up, so to speak. And I couldn't wait till the day I could walk in there and actually, because I wasn't of age, but I waited till the day that I was of age that I could go in there and order a mint julep, uh -huh. which, which was one of the, so it was a drink that was really uh, very famously known. Uh, it'd be surprised all over the country. Has had quite a reputation. What was what was the name of the waiter that made those? Ernest was one of them, and Mr. Williams was the other. Mr. Williams, that's the name. Yeah. Of them. Now, when I was in the service, <clears throat> uh, I was inducted in, in the Philadelphia Armory, and then was sent down to Camp Mead, Maryland. From there, I was sent out to Phoenix, Arizona, and I uh, was out in Arizona for a year and a half before we went overseas. So. One of my buddies, uh, who was from Gwinnett Valley, he had friends over in Pasadena, California. So over we went on a four-day pass. And I had never been to California before in my life, neither had he. But the family that we visited, her name was Mitchell. Mr. Mitchell was the vice president of the, of the Automobile Club of Southern California. So, and they lived on top of the hill and the Rose Bowl Stadium was right down at the very bottom of it. So this, I think we spent about three days with her and uh, she said, uh, um, us old ladies are gonna have a little meeting around the corner here. She said, would you like to go over in the morning, spend an hour or two with us, and give me an opportunity to talk to some of the neighbors. We said, no, we'll go. So we went over and, and so the lady of the house, uh, she said, well, look, there's a refrigerator. And she said, if you're hungry or if you want to get a beer, this was about 10 o'clock in the morning. She said, just uh, just there, sit there. She said, "We, I don't think we'll be more than a half hour at the very most. So after their meeting was over, they came out. And so this one lady came over and sat beside me. And she said, where are you from? I said, from, I'm from Philadelphia. Oh, she said, uh, you know, she said, we have friends in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. And she said, we always make it a point to visit them during the month of May when the dogwood blossoms are in bloom in Valley Forge Park. And she said, while driving to the park, we used to come into this little town called King of Prussia. And we always stop at the inn, she said, to get a mint julep and a steak dinner, she said. So I started to laugh and she said, but what are you laughing about? I said, well, that's where I'm from. She said, well, why in the world would you say, why would you say you're from Philadelphia? She said, if I was from King of Prussia, I'd tell the whole world about it. I said, lady, if you were from King of Prussia, you wouldn't tell anybody about it. And the reason for that is I was only in the service about two weeks and my first sergeant took me up before my commanding officer and the commanding officer said, what's the charge? And he said, this fellow here is, he's, he's uh, Insinuate, how did he put it? He's uh, claiming to be royalty. He says he's the king of Prussia. <laughs> so, so the major laughed and he said, well, I'll be darned. He said, I got two boys in this outfit from the darnest name towns you've ever heard of in your life. One's king of Prussia and the other was watch here, Kansas. <laughs> so the first sergeant and I became good friends after that. But then I, I always used Philadelphia as my hometown because uh, Nobody ever heard of King of Prussia. Prussia. <laughs> and today, look at it today, it's uh, really on the map today. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, shopping center has a lot to do with it, of course. Right. But uh, everybody is certain. Yeah. 
and Upper Marion, I've heard of Upper Marion Township, and I think, I really feel that, that, that the government of Upper Marion Township has been just great. Uh, there's been lots and lots of problems with, with growing pains, and, and they, you know, I think they seem to solve them very, very well. Everybody don't agree with that, but can't keep everybody happy. What, is, what do you think, uh, in your mind, it was, was the most significant change? The change that started everything was the turnpike coming into King of yeah. Prussia. And they came in in what year? Do you remember? I was at the service station and uh, location at Ed Max Restaurant at, at, from 1948 to 1952. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and the first thing that was being built was the Schuylkill Expressway. Right. And then that was followed by the turnpike. But the turnpike only came in the King of Prussia and ended there at that time. Later on, it hooked up with the New Jersey Turnpike over right. in Bordentown, New Jersey. Right. Uh, what, a couple, three years later? Yeah. I yeah. think that's, I think that was the, the schedule. That was it. Yeah. And certainly the highways were the impetus for the growth. And... Well, the highways what brought the people out, I think. And because uh, there was an awful lot of people from Philadelphia moved out to the King of Prussia area. Why? Because they could jump on 202 for a short distance, get on the expressway and be in the town. Right. So, so of course, everybody out here had a car. Uh, then it got to the point where there was five family, five members of the family that had five automobiles. You know, <laughs> everybody had a car. Everybody had a car. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that's one of the problems with traffic today we right. got so much pro we got so much uh, traffic we and it's very difficult sometimes to handle it you know right but it's uh i think it's been very good for the economy of the country oh certainly done a lot for this area up here yeah, yeah. now at one time we sold gasoline we had a gas war on we sold seven gallons of gasoline for a dollar and, uh, oh. uh, that's quite a, a different what you're yeah. paying today. What's the day's price? A dollar forty or something a gallon? <laughs> I think I was looking around just not during this past week. It was uh, running around a dollar and forty-one cents a gallon. Yeah. That, that was your average. Yeah. yeah. Now down <clears throat> down where Howard Walker now lives, um, there used to be a stand down there on that corner. Mm -hmm. They used to sell fireworks. We used to have, we used to be able to, uh, we used to be able to use fireworks years ago, but of course you can't today. And right across the street, it was on the 4th of July, where your Valley Forge Memorial Garden Cemetery is. They had a big barn there, along with the house, and the barn caught on fire. And it burnt down and right down to the ground. Well, Upper Marion didn't have any fire. I, I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe Swedesburg and Sweden had had fire companies at that time, but it, there was really not not much they could do about it. We used to have a, a, a lawyer by the name of John R. K. Scott from Glen Hardy Farms, mm -hmm. and he had a tally ho, a stagecoach, driven by four horses, and he had a driver up top the seat, I guess an assistant driver, because there was two in the front seat and the very back end, he had a man who was about six foot two and he had a bugle, must have been about three foot long, and he would blow that bugle when they came to the intersection. And they would start out, had you heard the story no, before? No, They would start out from Glen Hardy Farms and they would come down North Golf Road, cross 202, follow South Golf Road down to the Matson Ford station where he would get on the Philadelphia and Western trolley and take that into 69th Street and switch over to the elevated, take him downtown to his office. And uh, when they came to an intersection, the, the, the man in the back blew that bugle. And I'll tell you, it, it, was, uh, it was really a sight to see you might think you're out southwest somewhere. <laughs> and I never saw him. Uh, I was trying to 
remember and try to retract my mind a little bit, but I don't think I ever saw him out on a rainy day, but boy, it was a beautiful sight to see, see when the sun was shining, you know. <laughs> and he did that five days a week. A week. Yeah. Five days that's a week. That's the way he got into... That's, that's, that's how he got to his office, office in downtown. downtown. Yeah. yeah. How long did that take him, do you think? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think it would take him... Of course, there was hardly any traffic on the road at that right. time. I don't think it took him too long. I'd say maybe an hour to get from Glen Hardy down to Matson Ford, Ford Road. Yeah. That was, you know, hardly any traffic on the road great. at all. So that, uh, <clears throat> everybody knew who he was and he enjoyed it. And, and it was very picturesque. Uh, everybody that saw it really thought that was, that was something. Now you, you didn't see too much anything like that. No. Well, Mrs. Wilson would have fox hunts. Now, that was on, right out in the front lawn on the terrace. Right. And they, they had all these tables out there with white tablecloths on them. Some of the most beautiful horses and dogs you ever saw in your life. And of course, they had the fox there too. And uh, they had set the fox loose, headed up toward Strawhacker's Farm where the GE plant is now. Right. The dogs in the Dogs next, and then the horse, horsemen behind the dogs. And they'd be going for maybe two, three hours. Then they'd come back, and then she would have food there for all of them. And uh, I think, I think it might have been catered. But it was, uh, and oh God, you know, they had their, their black trousers and they had their red coats. And it, it was really a very, very beautiful sight to see. Quite elegant. Yeah, right? quite elegant. It's right. That's exactly right. And that all took place in King of Prussia. And then, of course, uh, as I said, when Cab, Cab, uh, Cab Calloway came in from the Earl Theater in Philadelphia, that, that was really some night. Uh, he, I think he stayed and played for about three hours in the early hours yeah. of the morning. Yeah, I've always heard uh, stories about notables stopping off at the King of Prussia Inn. That's true. That's true. Uh, somebody mentioned Bob Hope or somebody like that. Well, do you remember? Bob, Bob, see, the, the, they had the tent up at up at New Centerville, right. you know, and Bob, well, they had quite a few of the actors and actresses from Hollywood that came in and they would stay down at the Hilton. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where uh, that's where they would stop on occasion, too, at the King of Prussia Inn. And they had a well, they had a very good clientele. Uh, they did a very nice business there. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Williams, of course, he was the head waiter and Ernest was his assistant. And they were both very, very good. The food was good, the drinks were good, and the atmosphere was good, so uh, there was no reason why they shouldn't stop, you know. And it, uh, that old inn, uh, I think, really helped the name of King of Prussia along with right. the show. I think, well, well in advance of the shopping center. Right. You know, uh, then Mr. Crockett's driving range was sort of a, uh, it was sort of a general store affair. He, he, a lot of the people from the area that he knew, like <clears throat> Harry Froer, who had the nurseries down here at the Valley Forge Nurseries on top of the hill past the cemetery. He would stop by and, and chew the fat. And Frank McCormick, he, uh, he had the restaurant that Ed Mack had before Ed got it, he'd stop. It was sort of like a general meeting place. And uh, he got to see a lot of the neighbors because not only did they come in to hit a bucket of golf ball, but they sat there and had a little chat with Mr. Crockett. Okay. So he was, uh, he, he really got me a lot of work while I was a kid. <laughs> you had, you would told me a story about the, the court and, and uh, and the uh, some of the sinkholes in there. Well, uh, I'd get called on, on for road service calls. Mostly people couldn't get their car started. Maybe they'd be in shopping there for an hour or two and they come out and the engine wouldn't start. So I'd go over and uh, most most times we'd get it started without any problems. But I'd, I'd, I'd just say, I'd pray to God that he'd let that garage stay up long enough while I got out of there because <laughs> That garage is really, well, I don't know how they do that, but they, they drove steel down into the ground to support that garage. Mm -hmm. 
And that's a large garage. I just forget how many cars it holds, but it holds quite a few. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're a little dubious uh, when, when you saw all those sinkholes that were there before that garage went up. Did you, you say to yourself, how long is this going to stay <laughs> up here? <laughs> the, uh, well, the, you heard stories about this thing's been quite large and swallowing tractors and trucks. Oh, yeah, there. they did. They, they put tractors and trucks down in there and cars down there. These, now, these were junkers, but they, they put them down. They even put different colors of dye down there. They, they never found out where it went to. Never, never could find it. Couldn't find anything. Just yeah. disappeared. Just disappeared. <laughs> the black hole. Huh? That's exactly right. You're, you're exactly right. That's, uh, that's, all, that's all it was, just the black holes. So <clears throat> it's, a, it's a mystery. Of course, like I say today, they can do anything. I, it's a mystery to me whatever become of them. But Mr. Hendren, who was a contractor in King of Prussia, he used to have his place of business out on Allendale Road. And he would go out and... and, and he would get the, the materials to throw down in these holes, you know, and he'd come up and tell me at the station, well, we put three trucks down today, they don't know where they are, and put a couple cars down last week, and they don't know where they are. <laughs> so it must be, well, they say limestone, uh, you know, it's all limestone down there. Yeah, they well, this, they uh, built these large holes. Well, Bethlehem Steel, uh, they, they worked that quarry for quite a, quite a number of years. And they had pumps down there to, to pump that water out mm -hmm. so that they could work it to get the stone. And uh, I don't know how many years ago they decided to go out of the quarry business and they sold it to Glasgow. They sold the buildings and the property up top to Glasgow's mm -hmm. and they sold the quarry to Suburban Water Company. And that's about... Uh, a little over a third full of water right now. And uh, that's really good water. That's all spring water, well water mm -hmm. that come up. When I was in Valley Forge Park, I wanted, I used to go over to the chapel. And uh, I always wanted to be an usher there at the chapel because they, they wore the revolutionary soldier uniform. Right. But you had to be six foot tall and I wasn't six foot tall. So Dr. Burke, uh, who was a rector there at the time said to me, you'll have to go home and eat some Wheaties, he said, and uh, <laughs> eat them every morning because he said, we got to get, get a few more inches on you before we can get that uniform on. <laughs> Your children, you said, went to Upper Marion. Uh, are they still are they still in the Upper Marion area? Yes. Uh, uh, my youngest son, Bobby, he's running the service station. Mm -hmm. uh, my uh, daughter, Barbara, she works for PICO. And Richie, my oldest son, he works for an outfit that installs pools, and mm -hmm. uh, he's in the uh, uh, water department. Uh, sort of, uh, oh, what do I want to say? In the purifying mm -hmm. section of the water department for a pool. They sell supplies for pools. If you build one, they'll, they'll sell you supplies for the pool, mm -hmm. whatever your pool needs might happen to be. I was in the second draft out of Norristown, and I was the only one from Upper Marion. Mm -hmm. Quite a few boys from Bridgeport, quite a few boys from Norristown and Pottstown. Of course, these communities were all larger than, than the King of Prussia. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we wouldn't be surprised if a boy in Pottstown never heard of King of Prussia. You know? yeah. <laughs> we had a boy from Hill School from, from Pottstown. He, he didn't know where King of Prussia right. was. <laughs> Well, King of Prussia was a spot in the road. <laughs> That's all it was. But uh, really has changed. Yeah. Really has changed. Yeah. The, uh, it, it's, it's amazing when you think about it. Uh, you often think about the engineering taking place in these highways, the, the wonderful job they do. And... Uh, and, and of course, everybody today is living longer. Why? Because of the medical field. Uh, the medical field is, is much further advanced today than it's ever been. Right. So uh, if we're not feeling good, we get a pill. Then <laughs> we're good for another five years. <laughs> so the next thing you know, you're living in the golden years. Right. That's right. <laughs> right. When you think back of some of the things you did, how you did it, uh, compared to the way 
it's being done now. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a whole new ball game, really. Yeah. A lot of changes. A lot, a lot of, of changes. changes. Exactly right. Yeah. A lot of changes. And with more to come, I'm sure, you know, uh, what's a young fellow going to do in a few years for excitement? To, Going to take a trip to the moon, maybe on a rocket ship? I, I don't know. <laughs> there won't be enough room on the highways for the automobiles. Right. You know, they, they build a new road and it's no sooner done and it's outdated because there's more and more cars right. every day. Right. That's right. Well, and that's the way it is. Yeah. That's progress. You can't hold progress back. Because right. right. if you are, you're going to sit on the street corner on the soda box and they're going to go right by you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it works. You'll be in the dust. Because <laughs> if you're going to go out to buy a car today, you don't go out and buy one that's 20 years old. You, you buy the latest one you can get. You right. know. Well, Art, it's really been great talking to you today. I appreciate you coming by. Well, I, I really enjoyed it myself, to tell you the truth. And, uh, it's, uh, it's good to sit down and reminisce a little bit yeah. about you know, things the way they used to be. That's it for this edition of Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and your host for this series of Upper Marion Township's oral history. If you would like to make a suggestion or comment on this program, please use the following contact information. Thanks for watching. Until next time and always, remember when.